Good morning, Harvest. Man, y'all came to sing today. Worship was awesome. It's so great to be with you, so great to see you, so great now to open up God's Word together. You can uh, grab your Bibles, open up your Bible app, however you're going to access your copy of God's Word. Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. If you're new with us, uh, good morning. My name is Jordan. I'm part of the staff team here, and I'm I'm very privileged to be able to open up God's Word uh, with you today. We're in this uh, series in Paul's letter to the Philippians called Joy Unleashed. Uh, We're wrapping up our look at Philippians this week and next in this final section, looking at Paul's last words uh, to the Philippians in this letter. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13 is where we're going to be in just a moment. I want to begin, though, this morning with a quote uh, from Pastor Tim Keller. He wrote an incredible book back in 2013 called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And in it, he wrote this, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. It's profound, isn't it? You don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. That's a distinctly biblical expression. We could say from our text this morning as we look through it that that's a distinctly Pauline expression. For believers, we we understand that, that the entirety of our lives is being used by God in His sovereign way and in His sovereign good purpose to mold us, to shape us, to grow us, to transform us from one degree of glory to another, as 2 Corinthians 3 says. This means that, that the easy and the hard, the simple and the complex, the happy and the sorrowful, the times of of plenty and the times of want are all a part of God's sovereign plan for our lives. And our lives oftentimes feel like a roller coaster, do they not? Times of happiness and fulfillment, joy in the Lord, times of sorrow and struggle. And to have our fulfillment our view of life, we could say, attached to the highs and lows that we experience will lead us away from true and lasting joy. To have our purpose in life attached to temporary things leads us away from fulfillment and the supernatural delight that God longs to bring in us. To have our view of God and our understanding of Him attached to our circumstances and have the things that we're going through dictate to us who God is, is for us to view Him incorrectly and to rob us of that supernatural delight that He promises to us when He is everything to us. So this morning from Philippians chapter 4, we will look to unlock what Paul calls the secret of facing Plenty and hunger, abundance and need, the joy that can come in our lives no matter what we face in God-glorifying resilience, in a faith-fueled ability to have the joy of the Lord in every area of our lives no matter what. Let's turn our attention to the Word now, Philippians 4, verses 10 to 13. Follow along with me as I read. This is God's Word to us this morning. The Apostle writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. 
You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Amen? God's word to us today. Here's our big idea. I can have joy no matter what. I can have the supernatural delight founded in God no matter what is to come in my life. When I live, see this first, grateful for gracious gifts. I can have joy no matter what when I live grateful for gracious gifts. Like I said earlier, we're going to spend this week and next in, the, in this final section of Paul's letter to the Philippians, this last uh, thank you section that Paul writes to the Philippians for the, this gift that they had uh, given to him. That's the main reason that Paul sent this letter. Most Bible scholars agree that the Philippians sent a gift, some sort of financial means to Paul while he was in prison in Rome. They sent it with a man named Epaphroditus. And so the reason that Paul wrote the entirety of this letter is to thank them for this gift. And obviously in the letter, he unpacks some wonderful and true and amazing things about our faith. But notice the, 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 at the beginning of this section that Paul gives us a model for how to receive gifts from others, a model for how to receive gifts. Verse 10, he begins with, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Paul's been rejoicing all throughout this letter. That's why we call this series Joy Unleashed. It's one of the main themes of this letter is, is joy and living with joy. He's been talking about joy all over the place. Two weeks ago, if you were here, you'll remember that we talked about that the reality of joy in our lives comes from our understanding of what we do deserve, which is hell, which is, which is separation from God forever, punishment for our sin that separates us from him, but also an understanding that if you're in Christ, you have received what you can never deserve by his graciousness, by God's graciousness in sending his son to you, you have received forgiveness, adoption, freedom, justification, redemption, reconciliation through Jesus Christ. But now Paul is saying that he's rejoicing greatly, and notice that adverb there, that's important, he's rejoicing greatly, in the Lord, why? That now at length you have revived your concern for me. Paul is saying that he has great joy in the Lord because the Philippians have supported him, because they have cared for him, because they have expressed concern for him and how he's doing. Now, it's not that they weren't concerned about Paul before. He makes that clear in the rest of this verse. It's not like their concern for him was dead at one point. There's a couple of different reasons why their concern for him may not have been fully known. It may have been that, that this, uh, this church was in poverty. In, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about the fact that this church faced poverty. They faced some challenges. And so they may not have had the ability to show their concern for Paul and send this gift to support him. It's more likely that the other option, it's more likely the other option is true in that they didn't know how to get to Paul. He was inaccessible. As he, as he went through the process of being in prison, they didn't know where he was. They didn't know who to send the gift to or how to get it to him. So that's the most likely reason that they weren't able to show their concern tangibly for Paul and get their gift to him. But whatever the reason, Paul knew they were concerned for him. They knew they were, that he, they were concerned for him all the time. And that was a reason for him to rejoice a reason for him to have joy in the Lord. 
Now, the other thing that's interesting for us to note here is that in, in, in this entire section, in our verses that we're looking at this morning and the, the verses that come after it, verses 10 to 20, Paul never says thank you. Paul never says thank you to the Philippians for their gift. But the way that he expressed gratitude here in this verse and elsewhere, notably at the beginning of our letter where Paul says, I thank my God always in every remembrance for you, Philippians 1.3, also notably in 1 Corinthians 1 and in Romans 1, the way that Paul expresses gratitude is thanking God for them in front of them. The way that Paul is showing gratitude here is, is telling the Philippians that the, his joy in the Lord is deepened because of them in front of them which is an altogether deeper and more incredible way to express gratitude altogether. Paul is praising God for their relationship, for the partnership that he has with them, and, and their partnership, their support of him, causes him to rejoice in God's goodness in caring for them through them, or caring for him through them. And something we'll see later is this, that, that, that Paul's joy is not in the gift, his joy is in the Lord. The word that Paul uses in this verse brings extra significance for us in understanding this here. He describes the Philippians' tangible support in sending this gift to him as concern. That word in the Greek is the same word that he has used all throughout this letter, most notably at the beginning of chapter 4 when he encourages two women disagreeing in the church to have the same mind, to agree in having the mind of Christ. The love that the Philippians showed to him, the concern that they had for him is an example of their having the mind of Christ, the love of Jesus that we are called to have for one another. Paul is rejoicing because the Philippians are exhibiting Christ-like, gracious generosity to him. Paul is rejoicing in the Lord because this gift that, that they've showed to him, this concern that they gave him out of their love for him is an example of the reality of their salvation. Paul is rejoicing because, because this concern that they showed for him is an example of the transformative work of sanctification that the Lord is working in them. And that's cause for him to rejoice. This model of expressing Gratefulness is, is an infinitely better way of saying thank you. To express joy and thankfulness to the Lord for one another, to, to express the supernatural, the, the fact that your supernatural delight in God has deepened as a result of your friendship with fellow believers or as a result of their own care for you when you were in need or the way they love you like Jesus is so much better than just saying thank you. This is a commendable way of showing gratitude. Because in this, when you express gratefulness to that Christ-like friend who has showed up for you in your time of need, who has sent you those verses of encouragement when you were struggling, who has prayed for you and prayed with you, or, or who showed up at the door with a meal for you, when you express gratitude to God for them in front of them, you are reminding yourself 
and that other believer of the incredible promise that we have in James 1.17, that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. When we are grateful to God for His gracious gift of one another, and the way that we are graciously loved and cared for by one another, like Jesus loves, when we do it, our joy is deepened. Both your joy as the recipient and the joy of, and the, your joy as the giver. And that, that joy is deepened no matter what. I think any who have been cared for by a Christian brother or sister loved the way that we are called to love one another by someone in the church, by someone who shares your faith. I think we can all agree that this is true, can't we? There's a wonderful depth of joy that comes when you are cared for and loved for by a Christian brother or sister, isn't there? It encourages you in your faith, reminds you of the wonderful, gracious realities that are yours in the Lord evidence of his love for you when we love one another. Not only is this a deeper way of expressing gratitude and reminding each other of the truths of God, but this is a, a freeing way of saying thank you. It's interesting to note that, that the way that relationships worked back in this time that Paul wrote to the Philippians was this idea of, I give so that you give. The premise was that, that if someone gave you a gift, that would put pressure on you as the receiver. The receiver was indebted to the giver until they could give another gift back of equal or greater value. And isn't that still in, in play today? Don't we still live like that in a lot of ways? Oh, is it, is it their turn or our turn to buy dinner? They, they hosted our family last time, so, so we have to host this time. Let me, let me just look up the, that gift that they gave me for, for my birthday so that I'll know exactly what to give them for theirs. But this, this way that Paul shows us of showing gratitude to God for gracious gifts frees us from this idea. It's not manipulative. We've all had those thank yous from people that we know are manipulative, haven't we? Sometimes charities can be really good at this. Hey, thanks so much for your gift. It's been six months, but thank you, I guess. This kind of way of expressing gratitude frees us from being overly flattering, from, from elevating others too much instead of elevating God by doing things like, uh, I don't know, putting somebody's name on a chair in the worship center when they give enough money. Totally random, I picked that out of nowhere. This kind of gratitude also keeps us from, from the, this, this spiritual silence way of showing gratitude. This, this idea uh, that I'm not going to say thank you to that person for what they've done or, or what they did because I don't want to be a source of pride for them. That's ridiculous. Let's stop doing that. 
Paul doesn't withhold the gratitude that he essentially shows the Philippians by being grateful to God for them. He, he honors them well. He doesn't withhold that because he doesn't want them to get too puffed up. He rejoices in the Lord because of them, because of their love for Him, their support of Him, their care for Him. And this kind of God-honoring gratitude keeps our joy in the Lord because it centers us on His gracious gifts given to us by Him through one another. We need this kind of God-centered gratitude which takes our eyes off of the here and now and on to Him. It frees us from the temptations to wrong motives, and it helps us in our pursuit of God-glorifying resilience. Because the more you are grateful to God, the more you have the ability to see His sovereignty, and the more you are able to keep your eyes locked on Him. You know, what Paul says next in this passage, it really, it really strengthens his case in giving us an example of God-honoring gratitude. He goes on to say in verse 11 that he didn't need the gift that they sent him. His gratitude was not because he was discontent with what was going on, but it was exactly the opposite, which leads us to this secondly. I can have joy no matter what when I live content in every circumstance. Content in every circumstance. And boy, is this hard, isn't it? Boy, is this a rare thing. As I mentioned, Paul clarifies his motives in verse 11. I'm not rejoicing in your gift because I need it, he said. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. It's not, that, it's not that Paul wasn't in need, by the way. He was in prison in Rome. He had needs, sure. But his rejoicing was not because the gift filled that need. Paul was content. Paul was at peace with what was happening. His, he was at peace. He was content because his focus was not on his circumstances. The contentment is not a natural state for us as human beings. We are hardwired to want and to want more. Anyone who's spent any time with children knows that this is the case. From the earliest stages of development, kids want more. More of your time, more snacks, more toys, whatever it is. So this idea of being, of being at peace, this idea of coming to grips with whatever is going on in our lives is something that must come from outside of ourselves. And Paul highlights the importance of this. This is not an easy thing for us, but it is a critical part of our Christian walk. And living with the joy that comes from God, no matter what, comes when we are content in every circumstance. This is something that, that the Puritans, by the way, uh, believers that lived in England in the 1600s, this is something that they, were, that they were very keen on, something that they wrote on in a number of different situations and circumstances. There's a number of books written specifically about contentment by Puritan authors and pastors. One of the ones that, that was particularly encouraging to me was uh, a, book called, um, a book called the, let me get this right, Art of Divine Contentment. It was written by a Puritan believer named Thomas Watson. And uh, it's an entire book written on verse 11. That's how the Puritans did things back then. They wrote entire, book, entire books on one verse. It was wild. They were unbelievable. But it's an incredible book. I'd highly recommend it. It's actually available for free online. We've put a link to it so that you can download it or read it uh, in the sermon notes at hbc.info. And you see, we need this. We need contentment in every circumstance if we're going to live with joy no matter what. And there's three things that we see about contentment here in these two verses. First, contentment's not based on my circumstances. Contentment's not based on my circumstances. 
Christian contentment is not bound to what's going on in my life, but it transcends what I experience. Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And discontentment is pervasive in our world today these days. When we're young, we long to be older. When we're older, we long to be younger. When we're single, we long to be married. I'm not going there. That's, you drew your own conclusions about that one. We can want that church instead of this church. We can want it to be colder when it's too hot, warmer when it's too cold. We can find ourselves dreaming of retirement or searching indeed.com when things aren't going great at our job. We can want what he has or what she, sa- she, what she has. Paul says no. In whatever season, in whatever situation, contentment. Verse 12, in any and every circumstance, plenty, hunger, abundance, need. Contentment's not based on my circumstances. Secondly, contentment must be learned. Contentment must be learned. This isn't something that can just be popped into us at a moment of struggle, unfortunately. The Christian life isn't like that in any respect, really, but we see here that it's something that must be learned. It must be developed in us. It grows in us as we, as we go through struggle and difficulty, as we take the truths of Scripture and apply it to our lives in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Paul didn't have some, some higher level of access that we don't have access to, but in verse 11, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And if you know anything about the story of Paul, you know that he's experienced both prosperity and poverty. Paul had his brushes with wealth. In fact, Acts chapter 16 details the the conversion of, of a number of people in Philippi, really the starting of the Philippian church. And one of the people that's converted is a woman in her household. A woman, the woman's name is Lydia. And, and scriptures record that, that she was a seller of purple goods, which means she had wealth. In modern terms, she might've had a house on a hill. She might've even had waterfront property at the river that ran through Philippi, right? She had flat screens in every room. She had a three-car garage, she had guest rooms with their own bathroom that Paul and his, his people would have stayed in. She was maybe even wealthy enough to have her, her, the first initial of her last name embroidered on those little towels, you know what I mean? <laughs> maybe wealthy enough to have, have, have rooms in her home that she doesn't even use. I never got that. That doesn't make any sense to me. But Paul stayed there. He stayed with Lydia. He experienced wealth. Paul himself was a smart dude. He was well-educated. His family was well-known. Before he came to Christ, he was highly regarded in the class of Pharisees. He knew abundance. And arguably, it's, it's harder to be content when you have a lot, is it not? It's harder for Jesus to be all that you have when you have a lot. 
probably one of the reasons why, in reality, faith is so weak and shallow in so many in the Western church today. And why, in a lot of ways, we've become very soft. We've been blessed a lot in the past as Canadian Christians and We're not guaranteed any of the rights or things that we have enjoyed, and some of those things might be going away from us. Will you be content? Paul also knew poverty. He also knew real need. 1 Corinthians 4.11, he wrote this, to the present hour, to right now, we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed, and buffeted, opposed, afflicted, or harmed, and homeless. Paul knew need. And and both prosperity and poverty present real temptations to to be greedy, to to be envious, or or jealous. and, And let me make this clear. Having or not having money is not the issue that we're talking about. The issue of money and material things at the core is a heart issue. Who will you have rule the throne of your heart? Will you allow the pursuit of money or material things, whether you have it or don't have it, consume you? Will you allow it to rob you of contentment? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And treasuring the things of this world leads to discontentment because there's never enough. Paul has learned contentment through his experience and his brushes with poverty and his experience with, or his brushes with prosperity and his very real experience with poverty, but he's also learned it through struggle and blessing. Paul, Paul knows what fruitful gospel ministry results in. He'd seen entire households, like Lydia's, come to faith in Christ, get baptized. Paul's also experienced what he writes in 1 Corinthians 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. The person who experienced all of this says, I have learned to be content in all of it. Paul knows what it means when he says, in whatever situation, I am to be content. As he experienced all of those things, he realized there is no foundation in this world that can hold you sure enough to endure all of those things with joy. There's nothing this world can offer you that will bring you to a place of deep and abiding delight in the depth of sorrow and struggle that comes from living in this sin-sick world. But the true source of contentment, the way that Paul can be content, whatever he faced, the secret that he learned and that we need to learn in order to be content no matter what is this. Contentment flows from our union with Jesus. Which leads us to this final point. I can have joy no matter what when I live dependent on Christ alone. 
And here we come to one of, if not the most misapplied verse in all of Scripture, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And it's important for us to, to distinguish here that Paul is not making a comprehensive statement about any possible thing when he says, I can do all things. He does not mean that he can break out of the chains that hold him, go and knock out those prison guards like a professional boxer, hop into the local professional football game, run for 250 yards and three touchdowns. Okay, Not what he's saying. This is how some athletes, some well-intentioned athletes, like to take and apply this verse. Philippians 4.13 does not mean that I can skate circles around Connor McDavid or dunk on LeBron or sing like Edu. Okay, We have limitations. I have limitations. Paul had limitations. So what does he mean? Well, perhaps the more helpful translation of this verse would add a word to it to say, I can do all these things through him who strengthens me. You can't take this verse out of the context. Verse 13 is written in a passage about contentment. What Paul is saying is I can face anything with joy by focusing on Jesus Christ. I can be content no matter what I face. Plenty, hunger, abundance, need. If I'm focused on Jesus, by completely depending on Him for the strength that I need to endure whatever is going on in my life, Paul, Paul isn't focusing on his situation. He's completely locked in on Jesus. And that's the secret. When you're consumed with Christ, you can be content. When you're in Christ, united to him in faith, when he is everything to you, when you truly understand what you do deserve and what you don't deserve, but you have now received by Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for you, when you live with the reality that your greatest problem of the sin that separates you from the God who created you and loved you was solved by Jesus Christ, the Son of God in human flesh, then all the other problems of your life can seem smaller. Because he promises to empower you with all that you need to live for him. To endure. To persevere. To obey. To follow his commands. To glorify him. Another interesting note that you, that you may find significant the Stoic philosophers of Paul's day believed that this idea of contentment was self-sufficiency. The only way that I can truly be content, these people believed, was if I depended on no one and nothing else but myself. And Paul here takes that cultural idea and he bathes it in the wonders of the gospel. Contentment doesn't come when I am self-sufficient. Contentment comes when I am Christ-sufficient. When Jesus is absolutely everything for me, when the truths of Christ become the source for everything in my life, I can be content in anything. 
The preacher of the sermon that is the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 5, says this, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he, Jesus, has said, and this is the foundation for our contentment, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you're in him, that promise is for you, Christian. No one can snatch you out of Jesus' hand. When the work of Christ on your behalf and the promises of Christ that you receive through faith in him, through union with him and his death, burial, and resurrection become the firm foundation for your life, anything and everything can be done and faced with contentment and peace and security. You can endure suffering. You can endure need with rejoicing knowing what are yours in him. You can live with humility in the easy and plentiful times, knowing that you're secure in him. Because is, is it not true that it's, it seems more difficult or is more difficult to depend on Jesus and be content in him during the easy times? Now, our victory in this life comes from a conscious dependence on the Lord and His power. And there's a sense that it's easier for us to depend on that, to know that when we are desperate, when we are in need. And we've come to the end of ourselves naturally. But as Richard Mellick in his commentary writes, one mark of maturity in Christ is that the mature know how to depend on the Lord in every situation of life, not only in those for when they assume they need help. Do you depend on Christ when you know you need help? Do you depend on Christ when you don't feel like you need help? Because in reality, we all need help. We all need to depend on the Lord. We all need to depend on the Savior for the greatest problem that we have to be fixed. We need to depend on the Savior for the work that He wants to do in our lives every single day as He molds us and shapes us and grows us and changes us and transforms us more into His image every day until we see Him face to face and our faith is made sight. And so I wonder today if your lack of contentment and lack of dependence on Jesus has impacted your following through on the mission he's called you to. See, dependence on Jesus makes us adaptable. We don't need anything else when Jesus is everything for us. And I'll be honest with you, there have been times in, in my life where I have tried to dictate to God what my service to him looks like. There have been times when I may not have said it with my words, but I've said it in my heart. God, I'll serve you as, as long as it's here. God, I'll serve you as, as long as it's in this ministry. God, I'll serve you as, as long as it's not with that person. God, I'll serve you as long as I'm thanked and appreciated, and as soon as I feel like I'm not, I'm out. Those thoughts are revealing that Christ is truly not enough for me. That it's Jesus plus something else in my life. And that is not Christian contentment. Can you relate to that? 
It's evidence that I've made this world my home. I'm not living with the reality that my home is where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for me. But I'm still living in some way clinging to what's here. Dependence on Christ makes us adaptable. It makes us flexible. It makes us willing to be used anywhere and everywhere for His kingdom and glory. And ultimately, dependence on Jesus makes us resilient. It gives us a faith-fueled ability to endure anything with joy because He is our strength, because He is all that I need. So where are you dictating to God where you should or would serve today? How do you need to surrender and depend more on Him in your life? Because there is a God-glorifying resilience available to us when we submit to the Lord's leading us to hearts of gratitude, hearts of contentment, ultimately hearts of true and complete dependence on Christ. God wants you to live a life of steadfast faith no matter what you face. Despite the roller coaster that you live in, despite the pressures of the world around us, despite the challenges that may come as living as a believer, from living as a believer in this world, despite the reality of the sin and, and struggle that we war against every single day. So as Tim Keller said in the quote that I referenced off the top, you don't really know Jesus until Jesus is all you have. My question for you today is, is he for you? Is he all you have? Or are you consumed with something else? Is it Jesus plus something else for you? If it is, you don't really have Jesus at all. Today, God would say to you, come and see the Savior who takes away the sin of the world. Come and see the Lord of all things as the only true and sure foundation for the entirety of your life and cast your dependence entirely on Him. Bow before Him and seek Him to grow and arise in you contentment in anything and everything. Gratitude for God's gracious gifts poured out in our lives in so many ways and God-glorifying, faith-filled resilience that you may experience joy in Him no matter what. Amen? Let me pray for us. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you to admit first our complete dependence on you. We, as sinful people, with hearts deceitful and desperately sick, need you first and foremost to fix the greatest problem of our lives that sin has caused. 
we recognize, Lord, that our sin separates us from you. So I pray for any here who are in the room who have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus Christ in submission and have called out in faith to say, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I know who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for me, and I pray that you would forgive me and be the Lord of my life. I pray that those people here this morning in the room or watching online would do that right now, would depend on you, Jesus, entirely for their salvation, knowing there's nothing that they can do to earn it. And then for those of us who have received it, Father, I pray that by your Spirit active in our lives, you would continue to be revealing to us the areas where we have allowed other things to take your place or have allowed other things to be things that we depend on, where we have tried in some way to get the fulfillment, the joy that we're looking for from this world. I pray you'd convict and challenge us here today to expose to us the areas where we need to depend more entirely on you, to well up in us hearts of gratitude for the gracious gifts you pour out to us of one another, of forgiveness and salvation, of blessings. Truly, Lord, we don't deserve, but oftentimes we live like we do. Help us, Father, to live with this contentment, to know that you are God and we are not, to know that you are doing something wonderful as the sovereign providential God that you are and molding us more into the image of your son until one day we see you bursting through the clouds, Jesus, and we get the, the, the joy, the true and lasting, fully fulfilling joy that comes from being in your presence forever and ever. Do this work for your glory, Father, we pray. Find us humble and willing. In Jesus' precious name, amen.